Sonic States Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 189, recording live today, 4 o'clock on Wednesday the 15th September. You can watch us, uh, if you're not watching us, uh, you can watch us next week. Anyway, uh, Wednesday, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time, where you get a live chat room and live stream of whatever's going on in the studio. And in the studio, I have with me, Dave Spears from G4 Software. Hello. And uh, we've also got plenty of chatties here. Uh, G4software.com, I have to say. Sorry, you've thrown me by being here in person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what were you doing here, then? I came down to see a Don McCullen exhibition, photographer ah, exhibition. photographer, yeah. He's a brilliant photographer. Yells. Photographer of all those classic... He was a war correspondent, wasn't he? Yeah, an amazing story, really. Started out as... Uh, I think he worked for The Observer, first of all. Right. Of doing East End gangsters and stuff. Cool. I think that's how he got his break and then ended up becoming the, he must be probably the biggest war photographer in the UK. Yeah, if not the world. Yeah. Well, he's 75 now, so uh, this is an exhibition celebrating his work. Fab. So that was cheery. Yes, <laughs> you got over that. <laughs> and pictures of the kids, the family, you know, dogs playing in the back garden. No, no, no. Interspersed with war atrocities. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. Yeah, no, got some great pictures. Anyway, um, a couple of chuckles there. We've also got, so there's me and Dave in the studio live at Sonic State Towers here. Direct. Uh, and there's also, we've got a couple of our friends from the US on the line. Uh, first of all, I'll go to Rich Hilton uh, from Camp Chic, where he's uh, working, still working to a deadline with uh, Niall in the studios. Nope. Done. Deadline's passed. Done. And got the word yesterday from the boss that it sounded wonderful in France where they were playing it. Yeah. How does it sound in Germany? I don't know. I've been uh, to Germany. Is that... <laughs> but, <then> my, <laughs> well, great. That's it's, great news. It's a product intended for, I guess, the French market. It's Warner's France that's putting the product out, so... Uh, okay. So, great. That's a, a, a kind of chic, best-of, retrospective kind of thing. Is that the sort of thing that we're talking about? It's a box set thing yeah kind of retrospective there'll be some new mixes by some very popular dj from france called dimitri and there'll be some uh other things by us and uh hopefully people will like it excellent oh congratulations must be nice to put always nice to put a big project to bed isn't it and kind of feel that sense is this an anniversary thing well i'm not all that confident that it's been put to bed uh, <laughs> it's got past phase one right it's been mastered the first time. <laughs> right. Let's see if that's Okay, the last I see what I, I know what you're saying. All right, yeah, no, I understand. But uh, at least at least you got that far. Well, anyway, welcome, Rich. Uh, MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to join us. And also, uh, while, while we're over there, we'll say hi to PJ Tracy, Emmy winning PJ Tracy from PJ Tracy Music in sunny Minneapolis. How are you, PJ? Hey, uh, good. Yeah, it's been uh, it, it's a crazy week around here this week. Uh, Normally, a couple of things that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be problematic at all. Uh, I've got a, a gig tomorrow night at a local gallery with a with a band I'm playing with currently, and uh, I have to do a recording session where I'm playing piano with them on Saturday, and then working um, yesterday and today with a production partner of mine on a revived project in which I'm doing a lot of keyboard playing. And all that said, I gashed my thumb open two nights uh, ago, uh, had seven stitches put in it. And uh, my left thumb, and so it's it's been interesting. So uh, you won't be doing too much Scott Joplin. 
or any disco <laughs> bass lines. Now that's interesting that you say that because that's the very first thing I did when I sat when I sat down at the piano was play uh, yesterday to see whether or not I'd be able to do it was play some ragtime and stride. And right. it, it uh, I'm able to do it. It looks like the gash just just missed the the very left hand, or right hand side of the pad of my left thumb where I hit the key. So it it uh, it's it's going to work, I think. Yeah, you are. Uh, you wouldn't want it to break all over a Steinway, would you? No, you really wouldn't. Imagine the embarrassment. Not to mention the yeah, pain, that. the pain, and the insurance, <laughs> and the insurance claim, of course. Oh, well, I'm but, sorry but to thankfully, that. the studio that we're uh, that we're recording in has a Yamaha piano, so it won't be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a sponsor of the show, you know. I won't have you bad mouthing them. <laughs> I'm not bad mouthing. Oh, okay. They're just a lot. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I actually really, really love that piano. It's just they don't have that. They don't have that whole uppity, you know. Don't get blood all over instrument. Kind all of, right. Uh, Kind of want a bit of history well anyway pj yeah, exactly. i hope i hope you did you do it how did you do it um doing something exciting and uh, adventurous or was it a common garden kitchen type incident <laughs> yeah yeah the, the second the oh. latter <laughs> i was i was preparing dinner before my wife got home I, well, I didn't get around to the preparation part i got around to the uh take the paring knife put it into some chicken and then uh, Cut no, your thumb. it wasn't it yeah it wasn't pretty yikes do you want to hear the best thumb Injury joke. It's actually, it's not a joke. Story. Yes. So Please. me and my mate, we were, what, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that. My mate says, and we're, we're in, the, in the garden of a big house, shooting everything that moves with various air rifles and whatnot. And uh, I think we killed everything within about a five-mile radius. So then we kind of looked at each other, and he said, hold up that 50p piece, and I'll shoot it out of your hand. <laughs> and I did. And it went, the pellet went straight into my thumb. That's it. I could just about move it. Oh, but that was hospital. Yeah. Full-on hospital surgery job. Ouch. That was. Unfortunately, I haven't had anything quite that dramatic. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, well, anyway, shall we move on to some, uh, some topics? Uh, there seem to be quite a lot of synths out at the moment. Uh, not not uh, least, but the new Moog um, Voyager XL, which is a 61 key with a ribbon, uh, a, a touch, a velocity-sensitive ribbon controller. And a kind of patch bay action. I mean, they kind of brought together a whole bunch of Moog stuff they've already got and made it into one great big mini Moog. Um, looks kind of fun, actually. It's sort of, there's a, there's sort of like a, a super duper MS-20, but with Moog instead of a Korg. Yeah, a stretch Voyager. A stretch Voyager. That would be, I think that's what they should have called it, actually. Um, is any, I mean, do you know anyone who's going to be able to buy one of these? I mean, they're five grand. It's quite a lot of cash, isn't it? Five thousand dollars or four nine nine five, I should say. It's monophonic. Yes, of course. Although I suppose with the patch bay, you might be able to get a bit of duo going on with two oscillators. Mm. With it, if you had another synth to control it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, is it a collector's item? I mean, I suppose it could be quite useful some in some ways. I mean, you're not going to be able to store the. Uh, the the uh, patch bay. I mean, the patch bay, I think, is the thing that you because they, they did make a patch bay unit that you could sort of rip break out to, mm. and I think it's it's that and some. Um, just trying to think what else it has really, um, apart from apart from that. But everybody seems to have got very excited about it. Uh, Rich, is it something that you'll be uh, pushing for on the next purchase uh, road uh, schedule for the uh, Le Crib keyboard oh, arsenal? No, no. <laughs> no. But that's because we have a Mini Moog already, a vintage Mini Moog. I mean, to buy it just for that patch panel, I could buy two Moogerfugers and be done with it. But yeah, 
The interesting thing about this is it may be the first monophonic synth I've ever seen with 61 keys on it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose it would be. I guess it has to That's be to accommodate huge. the extra patch bay bit. Yeah. Right. Right. That's true. But suppose... but they just decided to fill it up with keys. Well, I suppose <laughs> you could you could use it as a master controller as well, couldn't you? Although that seems like it's an awful a... waste of waste of money. Monophonically. Yeah, but I'm sure it transmits polyphonic MIDI. Yeah, the Oscar used to do that, didn't it? Would it not? Probably does transmit polyphonic MIDI. Um, uh, DP asks, DPtronic asks, uh, how much is the new Moog? It's 4,995 of your um, US dollars. I don't know. I'm sure it's a very nice-sounding instrument. (laughs) Well, interestingly, there was a... While I was researching this, I was just trying to see if there was any videos posted on YouTube. Uh, I couldn't find anything, because obviously it's so new, and perhaps it's not um, reached production just yet. But I did see quite an interesting uh, comparison. It was... uh, And it was... I forget the name of the guy now. I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But he was basically doing uh, a pair... He was... He had a Moog Voyager and a Model D together and was kind of getting the same sound. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, 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 a synth meet, so the sound wasn't great. But it, it sounded pretty close. I mean, you'd expect it to, I guess. So it is Moogie, is it not? Have you played one much? Yeah, to be honest, I kind of lose track because there there's, there's various iterations, isn't there? There's the old school and there's the not-so-old school and then there's the college version. I don't know. I mean... Uh, I've got a beautiful old mini mug, so that's what you no need for it, right? Yeah, well, fair enough. But I, I, I mean, I'm guessing this, the people it will be for are kind of moog nuts. I mean, it's kind of because they've reached that they're they're like the vintage and rare of current models. So they'll be made. It's almost like the custom shop kind of stuff in the guitar world, isn't it? Really, PJ, you you uh, got a got a space on a shelf anywhere for one of these? No, no, I don't. But I I, I was wondering how many of them they'll actually manufacture. Or if they're going to do them to order, I don't know. You like wouldn't need to make that so. many, would you? No, and and then the, is it the reason why this is sixty-one keys is because all of the Voyager models are, and they're putting are they putting it in the same chassis, or is it a completely is it completely redesigned? No, I think the uh, I don't think the Voyager is sixty-one keys. Is it? It's the same size oh, as I, the Mini. Is it? Mm. There's some research the I should have done, eh? <laughs> There's some research you should have yeah, done before you yeah. said that. <laughs> now, then, I feel, I feel uh, um, a little put out because I, I, I've, pl- I've actually played a Voyager, but I can't remember. You know, I've pl- played them a couple of times, but I don't remember whether they are. I thought they were 61, but maybe they're only 49. Yeah, maybe so. Well, anyway, um, there's a lot of excitement about it. I think it would be kind of exciting. Uh, it is 61 key, says Juicy Audio. Uh, that's what, I, that's what yeah. I thought. Okay, yeah. thank you very much for the clarification, because that just shows how little any of us have to spend on modern instruments. <laughs> I've never even seen. I mean, I think I've seen one, but I've never, I've never, I don't know anyone who's got one or, pl- or played with them. But uh, I'm sure there are. I mean, it's the sort of thing that if you need moogs, you're going to be doing it live, aren't you? The standard version is 44. All right. Okay. Sorry. That's so we're all confused. Basically, oh, there you go. it's expensive, okay. um, but it's collectible, and it will be one of those things. I'm sure you get signed, and you know, not well, not signed perhaps, but certainly uh, signature models and what, all that sort of thing. Anyway, the new Moog uh, Voyager XL, which actually celebrates 40 years of Moog, so wow. kind of pretty cool, really, to make it this this way through, and still going strong. You know, I mean, because not many people can survive the loss of the figurehead, and you know, it's kind of they're still going, aren't they? So. Good for them. Good for them. Um, On the other side of the market, I think I've got a clip for this. Uh, Ultra Nova, the the uh, yeah the um, 
Novation have announced the Ultranova. I'll see if I can play a little bit of it. Uh, I have a... Ultranova comes with 300 onboard sounds. Selectable by type and musical genre. The vocoder, isn't it? I feel like I should be shaking my bottom. <laughs> anyway, I won't play any more. Um, but that, that's actually pretty big news because, I mean, not a lot of people are releasing these. And the thing about the uh, new synths these days, and the you know, Novation Ultra Nova, 18 voices, 14 filter types, 35 wavetables, 5 effects slots, uh, patch browse, uh, 37 keys, a vocoder, which did sound pretty good there, uh, software plugin editor, patch librarian, 2 in, 4 out USB audio. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, it's got the, 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 what's quite cool is all the rotary encoders have touch that you can program additional, uh, sort of performance aspects. So if you touch a, uh, um, one of the pots, it will just throw, uh, something at one of the other parameters. So you can get it to kind of like do some crazy stuff based cool. on what, what, what pots you touch. And you can touch more than one at a time. So it's like mod wheel, but. Excellent. So it's kind of quite performance. It looks quite cool, actually. Um, and, and I was think when I was thinking about this, the uh, Novation stuff. Now, before Virus took a real hold, all the vi Virus Novation, the Supernova, and all that was the Super Source sound, was the sound of all those kind of big trance records. I mean, it's a really big brand. I know in America and certainly over here, they was really quite sold enormously. So, I mean, this should be pretty big news. I hope to to get one at some point. I mean, it's funny talking about new synths, though. I mean, it's almost like. It's hard to compete against what's coming out, as we said before, in, in, in terms of software. Um, is, this, uh, is this something that would interest any of you? I'm actually buying a new hardware synth, Dave? I've got a lot of time for Novation, actually. Uh, the, uh, most people probably know this, but the Oscar designer was a guy called Chris Huggett, and he went to work for Novation. So he was you know, pretty much responsible for a lot of their keyboards. And I believe once they got taken over by Focusrite, he's still there, which is on Focusrite, are only about sort of 10 miles from me. And I like their synths because they've got character. There's a bit of unique character about them. And, and you can hear it on that. It's right. still gnarly. It's something nice, uh, nice about them. So, yeah, I mean, for 500 quid. It's not bad, is it? I think that's pretty good. Sounded good. I've got the um, I've got the Novation KS4 in the other room, yeah. um, which I, I used quite a lot um, working on a couple of records, and also um, we used it live for recreating some of the sounds of the uh, stuff that we didn't want to take on the road. I think, uh, uh, it, but it got retired. I think they, in the end they just started using samples instead. Okay, but that was a great set. I mean, I like all the level of control. I haven't, I haven't. This is this looks more like a patch matrix, you know, like a an edit matrix kind of thing to me, but. And the thing, the thing I like about synths that have got knobs on of any kind is you can use now, you can use them to control your plugins. And that's, you know, because you're reaching yeah, for the yeah, filter yeah. knob or the, the envelope or whatever. I've said this before. I, th I still think it's a really uh, valid way of mapping controllers. And I guess, I mean, I don't know whether it'll have auto map and stuff, but that would be kind of cool. Probably. I don't know whether it would. I know, Rich, you've had experience with the controllers. Are you familiar with any of the Novation synths? A little bit. Uh, uh, do, do, uh, do any of their kind of earlier models make it through to the uh, through, through onto your laboratory uh, mixed desk kind of situation? Nope. <laughs> okay, no. fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike them, and I agree with Dave. They have a certain character that makes them unique. Um, I'm just, I've just never needed one, and I haven't used one, and 
doesn't really relate that much to 90% of what we do. Yeah, so, sure. Uh, I haven't really reached for one, but uh, the demo I saw on YouTube was pretty impressive and uh, seems like it does a lot for the money. They really are. They're really going for the kind of contemporary dance kind of pop, super sore, you know, that kind of world. I think the, the overdriven, the, the, the drive into the filter and out of the filter, that kind of thing. I don't know, PJ, is that, I know, you know, you, you might perhaps need things generally that have a wider sound palette to, to make you make a purchase, but is this something that you would uh, consider looking at? Yeah, I'm really curious about it because back in the day, I almost bought a supernova. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and and uh, I went in a different direction at that time. And uh, I, I really, I really do love the sound of those Novation synths. And uh, back in the mid 1990s, I was working with a guy frequently who had a bass station. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great sounding. Great sounding synthesizer. I've got one in the case. I remember I really, it was absolutely essential for those kind of widdly kind of monophonic filter lines that if you, everybody wanted absolutely. to sound like Will, everybody wanted to sound like William Orbit. But all I remember yeah, is yeah. the only thing I remember at the base station is you do all this tweaking and the right, the patch writing was so awkward that you very frequently you just, oh, you just lose it. You'd lose all your work. Yep. Because you press yep. the wrong combination of buttons and you'd end up not storing it when you thought you would. And the only way you could find out was by changing patches. And you go, no, it didn't work. Was a keyboard one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a base station keyboard, wasn't there? Yeah, I remember that. I think it was serial yeah. number one of those. Did you? Yeah, it turned up at one point. Mm. But that, it was amazing, really, because they made their money initially making that little uh, controller for the QY20. On yeah, it's got one of those. Stuff, wasn't it? Got one yeah. of those somewhere. I think it's in the, in the shed. Great little collector's item. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if it still works. And I've got a QY10 as well. Did Maybe like I should sell them as a pair. Drum station, all good machines. Oh yeah, did it do? They did um, eight oh eight and nine oh nine emulation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they were kind of virtual version, uh, sort of real versions of uh, Rebirth. I'm guessing, aren't they? Really, I mean, you know, it's, it's a, that kind of concept. You know, targeting those instruments. There were a few three oh three emulations, weren't there at the time? There was that deep bass nine and stuff like that. But for me, the Novation always had it. Had, had, had the edge. I remember somebody came in to uh, do a mix with me, and they brought a supernova in, and it had some really amazing kick drum sounds in it. I yeah. mean, I, I, not, I can't remember whether they were PCM or whether it synthesized them, but uh, some really good. So it must have had some. If it was synthesized, obviously have some pretty fast envelopes and kind of good for that sort of thing. But it's definitely more your pop world, isn't it? Well, I remember at the time that the JP eight thousand was that Roland's super virtual analog thing that came out in the mid-1990s was real big. And listening to the Supernova and the JP-8000 side by side, and, and I really liked the sound of the JP-8000 when I first heard it, and then I heard the Supernova, and I said, no, that's it. That's it. Yeah, wow. it just did that, just, that sort of pitsy, yeah. reverby, you know. I mean, just, there were some classic sounds on there, weren't there? The guy who programmed a load of the sounds was this guy, Phil McDonald. I think he used to be with Korg. But he was an awesome programmer, really awesome programmer. What was the sense we were talking about the other day? Oh, it was this. Oh, the prophecy. Yeah, yeah, I sat with him looking at the prophecy. Prophecy. After about four hours, I was like, okay, I think I get some of that. (laughs) Nice. Well, anyway, um, Novations, uh, Ultranova, going to be out soon. Um, uh, If you look, a lot of retailers have got it, and at least in the UK, uh, where I, I guess it might be out first, just because it's probably... It's a UK company, um, but you can book now and, and check them out. But I, we'll try and get one in for review because I would like to try it and uh, haven't had, had a look at a, a Novation synth for a while. I've had a look at a lot of controllers, but not a synth. So uh, kind of well 
well, uh, nicely positioned there. Uh, right. Um, I guess this would be a good time to say um, uh, hello and thank you and welcome to our show sponsor, obviously Yamaha.co.uk, still uh, still with us after all this time. I obviously haven't scared them off yet, but uh, that's great because that means I get the opportunity to, to reinforce the message about the new Motif XF, which, of course, is their uh, top-of-the-range workstation um, taken over from the XS. It has double the RAM. Now it's got 741 megs of internal wave ROM. That's twice that uh, of the previous model. Uh, two gigs of optional flash wave memory, and it's also it's possible to kind of construct an enormous set of, of samples and triggers and all of those things, loops, whatever, and have them come straight back when you switch on. No more loading. So that's kind of pretty good, particularly if you're live and you're going to maybe hire a machine in the country, just whack your wave ROM in and off you go. You've got the sets right there. So very nice little idea. Uh, and also uh, there's 128 megs of onboard uh, sample RAM, finally, because the XS didn't come with any RAM, so you couldn't sample with it because obviously the XF workstations are samplers as well. So you can, in fact, sample in to it directly. I think you get about 45 stereo seconds or something. No, God, what am I talking? 12 minutes or something, isn't it? Into 128 megs. <laughs> Gone back to the <laughs> I'm 80s. I'm slightly wrong there. <laughs> I, was, I was having an 80s memory moment. Yeah, so plenty of sample time. Uh, 512 performances. Uh, there's also four intelligent arpeggiators that create backing tracks with direct performance recording feature. Uh, integrated Yamaha digital mixer, three band EQ for each part, eight dual insertion effects, two system effects, master effect and master EQ, a direct to USB recording and playback, record final mixes uh, or playback stuff to play along with if you're doing um, that kind of music show sort of stuff tons and tons of it please do check it out uh, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha will give you the links you need to know and I think they're starting to trickle into the dealers so you'll be able to get your hands on one and try it out for yourself and see if it's for you but uh, thoroughly worthwhile checking out there's uh, also a whole bunch of stuff over at Yamaha Download which uh, is um, Sort of Yamaha's blog site, uh, lots and lots of uh, interesting articles and features and interviews with the Yamaha artists, as well as stuff that's not just Yamaha-centric. So please go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha and check that out while you're at it. Uh, we do thank them very much for their continued sponsorship. Right, um, the next story, uh, I wonder, because uh, that, uh, I, I actually would like to, I, does anyone really want to do the uh, art glove tape glove thing or could we move on to the uh, trysound.com which is i tried it this afternoon and i'm quite excited by this um so let me play you is that all right with everybody or does sounds like it sure. is okay so i'm just going to play a bit of sound Right, that's kind of, you might wonder, what the hell's that? And you'd be right. But what it is, um, this is a company called, uh, this is try-sound.com. And what they've got is, they, well, this is the, the blurb for it. This is the world's first online test station for virtual instruments and plugins. For the first time ever, best service and sounds on demand are presenting the possibility of testing virtual instruments from your home anywhere in the world by transmitting MIDI and audio over the internet. And you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you play, what I was playing there was me doing just that. Because what I did is you, you go in, you log in, you register, you download a, li a couple of apps. One of them is a VNC client, so you get a remote desktop. The other one is a, um, a kind of audio chat um, tunnel, so you can set your latency and what have you. I guess it transmits the MIDI as well. And honestly, I plugged a MIDI keyboard into my laptop, fired it up, got the desktop, hit play, 
and there was the instrument. I mean, it was, you know, there was latency, and let's not be joking, you know, probably yeah. about 200 milliseconds round trip. But it meant that I could actually go in and tweak and mess around and, and load this stuff. And it was, it was, I was showing it to Andy, and it was like, wow, this is, this is kind of a bit mind boggling. It's very clever. What you do is you book a slot. So you say, right, in, uh, say if it's five to three, you go, yeah, 15 minutes, can you fire one of these up for me? And it, I guess, I'm guessing what it does is maybe fire up some sort of virtual machine, which is all pre-configured, tells you what IP number to go to. You go to the IP, it logs you in, in your time slot. And during that time slot, you get to poke around and try all these instruments. And it's quite clever. It's all scripted. If you watch, there are these presets that you can play. So you press one preset and the mouse moves around and it's scripted all of these menu actions and loads the presets in and then you get to play them. And it's just... It's just a brilliant idea, and I think it's something that could actually really take off. And I, when I wrote the article and saw it, I hadn't had a chance to try it out, and I was thinking, nah, yeah, that's just not going to be good. But it is actually quite awesome. Anybody, um, anybody else get a chance to try it? I'm guessing I did not try it, no. but I looked at it. But I looked at it, and it looks like a great idea. It's a great idea, and I think you know there could be more um, applications. I mean, certainly, Dave, for your instruments, you know, you, know, you could just have a machine. Save actually downloading demos. You just have, a, I guess, one machine, and be interested to see how the technology works. But it, it did work, and it's obviously all scripted. And I'm guessing, you know, I mean, if you think you use this something with something like a cloud computing system, where you just go fire me up an instant, I've got someone who wants to have a demo, and it goes ping, and then says, yeah, here we go, and you're off. Just a, just a great concept. I mean, the latency is crummy. I mean, you couldn't use it for any meaningful playing. And it, I don't know if you heard, but there were sort of bird tweets and stuff yeah. in the background. So I'm guessing they're using that to mask the actual, uh, you know, so you couldn't play a line and record it and stick it in your door and use it, which, I mean, to be honest, I Fair wouldn't enough. really care too much if that was the case. Good idea, though. Do you, do you think this is a, a go? Would you use a service like this, Rich, or would you rather just download a demo, even if it's got a massive amount of uh, samples to download? I'm not sure. I, w I wouldn't rule out using it. I think that these guys are likely to get into trouble with some of the people whose sounds they're supplying. And I think that this idea is likely to get picked up by actual software writers and manufacturers on their own individual websites uh -huh. as a possibility, in addition to downloadable demos. I've sort of gotten used to the downloadable demo, even when it has to load up an auth on my iLock, I kind of gave up on caring and uh i've been doing that and uh lately i've tried out a few things and bought them because i like them one of which was something pj recommended the other week which was the uh passive active pack from SoftTube. oh that's good stuff isn't it yeah, i guess it you wouldn't i guess i mean uh, for processing i mean it worked with instruments but obviously with if you would for processing it wouldn't work quite the same way because you wouldn't be able to process the audio perhaps but know. even with instruments, I'd want to download it and use it in my own, uh, in my, hear it in real time and dial around on it and have it respond. Uh, see, I, I don't, in other words, this won't really give you a sense of how the thing responds to you directly because of the latency. Whereas when you have a demo running on your computer, you have a sense of your own interaction with it in real time. So myself, I'd prefer for the most, for most things, uh, downloadable demos, but I could see using this kind of idea for certain kinds of auditioning. Yeah. And, uh, again, I wonder if they're going to get into trouble with the people who's, I don't uh, think so because it's, it, I think it's actually written with, in collaboration with the actual distributors of those instruments. So, you know, it's not a third party innocently just kind of going, let's give it a go. I think best service are really big in the U S uh, in the, in Germany. 
and I think I'm not sure about sounds on demand, but they're, they're probably both big guys and they distribute these instruments anyway. And obviously, you know, and Dave, as you know, the distribution and sales of software is, is still in its infancy, really. I mean, it's very hard to actually shift, you know, shifting boxes just seems like such an arcane way of doing it. So this could, could this go somewhere to making a sales, sales more easy? I think from a user's point of view, I like the idea of being able, so can you audition any of the sounds within any of the instruments? Yeah, I mean, what I was doing, I, you know, it loads up within like, I think there was a, a yellow tools player or something. So there's a VST wrapper and you've got a contact player for the contact instruments. And if it's just a VST host for something else. So I was just able to load, you know, drop down the menu, see the patches, load that patch goes, hold on a minute. Cool. And then also there's locally, you've, there's a MIDI file you can click, which will play into the instrument. So you can hear things a bit more articulated as well. But also you're playing on the keys and the controllers work as well. So the mod wheel will affect, you know, Excellent. the stuff that happens. So you can get a real sense of some of the controllability. But yes, the latency is obviously an issue. Yeah, but for auditioning sounds, you know, there's been loads of times where it's like, I need that sound and I need it now. So once you've auditioned the sound, yeah, can you then go, I'll have that and then download it? Um, well, that's a good question because it's a virtual desktop environment. So I'm guessing you'd have to then go back to the site. I didn't. I didn't follow the sales. Go route. To best service and then go because you're okay. you're on a virtual desktop. Yeah, so sure. It's it's not your web browser, if you see what I mean. If you were to do it, and I bet it's all totally locked down. Yeah. I mean, I just like the idea of being able to audition something immediately, particularly if you're on a session. And you go, oh, I need those disco strings, for example. Yeah. Because there's loads of people offering them, and it's like, oh, actually, they're the ones I want. Okay, I'll buy that instrument. Yeah, I suppose so. AKP in the chat room says, uh, surely this is a nice technology demo and proves there's a need for it, but not so sure about the implementation. I toned that down a bit, Pete, just to protect the innocent. <laughs> but it's going past in the chat room anyway, so I don't know why I did. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it's a bodge, but uh, I mean, you know, because I've just been moving over to the cloud, I've been sort of, I just like the idea of sort of, I've booked a demo, ping, fire me up an instance. I don't have to have loads of racks of server doing it. I just, it would just work that way. That just seems like a really cool idea. And I, I do. And PJ, I mean, you know, you're often, I'm guessing, in a situation where you get a client in and there's a project and you, there might be that missing sound that you need right now. I mean, how would you, you would a service like this be of, of any use to you? Yeah, I think it would. Um, I, I tend to agree with everything that's been said about the implementation of it so far. I mean, I think I think it's a technology that's a bit ahead of its time. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, and this isn't new. This has been around for a while. Um, I think I first heard about this service maybe maybe even two years ago. Oh, really? I'm not sure on the time frame of that. Cutting yeah, edge me, you see, PJ? <laughs> I'm on the cutting edge of news. I think that they're just... Uh, what they're doing is they're kind of relaunching it because because they've made some. It seems to me from reading around on their site they've made some improvements, um, you know, to to the service in general. And I don't know if any of you noticed. I'm, I'm sure you probably did. This this sort of scrolling comments on the right hand side of the homepage. Yes. As you as you go there and you can see the users and you can see some of the same concerns. I mean, some people are kind of cruel. It seems. Seems like they're they're not editing or censoring that, which is really nice because you get a good feel for what people are you know are thinking about the site. But it seems like they kind of concur with us in that it's it's a really great idea, but the implementation is a little a little fiddly. Well, they do say. So, look, I mean, if, if don't it, expect. They do say don't expect it to be something that you can practice with. It's just you know a, a simple. Oh idea. right, right, right. Well, no, absolutely. And I mean, if 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 it's something where you can go there and quickly 
you know, quickly get into a virtual instrument or several of them, actually, I think, because as Dave was saying, and like you're intimating, it would be great to be able to go there and choose between several virtual instruments quickly and audition their sound sets. That you can't, be, you, and that's that exactly be. what you can do. I mean, basically what you're given. Then down, that's great. Left-hand side of the screen, there's a list of all of the instruments that they've got. You click on one, it then instantiates via this scripting thing. And then when you're in it, it's it'll load some sounds and you can then go to the actual patch menu and just change patches within that virtual instrument. You're driving essentially the, the VST mm -hmm. host or the contact player um, yourself. It just automates. And then the, can, you edit, can you edit? Can you, I mean, can you do any editing or, or, you know, interface tweaking or anything like that once you've loaded a sound? Um, that's a very good question. I didn't get into the depth of the editing, but I'm guessing, I, I don't know that there's any limitations. I don't know how they could limit it without any, uh, uh messing about with, um, any of the actual, you know, versions of okay. the software. So that, yeah, it must be, you must be able to. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that's not, really a cool, that's a really cool idea. But quite often, you know, you want to go and poke around in the menus and see what's there, don't you? I mean, it may not be always uh, apparent for contact instruments because, you know, we're probably quite familiar with that. But with something that's new and, you know, how can you configure it and what have you? Well, you know, it's really cool. It, you, you bring that up and, and this reminds me, I recently made a purchase. I needed a really good guitar library, so I purchased uh, Virtu's Electricity. And... um that's uh for those that don't know what it is it's a massive guitar library they've sampled in in painstaking detail eight eight electric guitars direct and then there's some effects and things like that in there which i think are kind of a wash but if you run them through um through your own amp simulators or through an actual amp you can get startlingly startlingly realistic uh results from this this library and i've watched this thing since um since its announcement at NAM and its subsequent release in May. And the problem with something new like that is there's very specific things that I wanted to know that it could do and do well mm -hmm. and, and how customizable, you know, is it to get at, at those kinds of articulations and how realistic can, can you get these things to sound all of that? And the only way to know that is to let it, you know, sort of disseminate through the market and watch what people say about it and then ask specific questions yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. And find, you know, video and that kind of thing. So this kind of service would allow you to be able to go and, you know, maybe possibly cross-reference a manual, you know, PDF manual, and go in there and actually poke around and discover for yourself whether or not, you know, a, an instrument will do what you hope it does based on the hyperbolic, you know, market speak that the company that releases, you know, releases the software says it'll do. Yeah. So it, I, I like, I like that about it, that you could almost instantly figure out whether or not something will do what you want it to. Yeah, if it's a, particularly for something that, like, as you say, is new and untested, I think it's yep. a great idea. I mean, I don't know what sort of, I mean, I'm guessing, because, I mean, it must be a fairly a serious amount of uh, system resources. I'm guessing you got, you're not running multiple instances of, of this virtual desktop with all of the, the plugins on a single machine. I'm guessing it must be one per VM or whatever, which is an interesting idea. But, yes, it is. it is kludgy, but, I mean... Well done for figuring it out. I mean, yeah, it looks yeah, like they've just kind of gone. joined together a load of technologies, and if that works and, and, and will work, then I don't have a problem with that. Although uh, a number of people in the chat room, uh, Howard and, uh, and various other people, are saying, you know, how much better is it than just a bunch of playable, high-quality MP3s? Yeah. The MP3s will tell you the sound quality, but they won't, as you say, PJ, they won't tell you what... <laughs> you know, what's going on under the hood and how you can poke around. Well, they're that. misleading sometimes, I think, yeah, yeah. MP3s. 
You yeah. know, I mean, you don't know how how, how long it took them to get it to sound like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they, I don't think they tell you anything about the process from getting to A to Z. No, I think you're right. But yeah, I thought it was uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, Rich, I suggest you try it just because it's kind of quite an interesting experience, and it it does kind of trigger a few ideas of you know oh actually if i could if i could try this or that then it might you know you might find that it's got there's something there i'd just be interested to know what you what you thought of it and whether it, it was any of any use if you actually had, had a chance to try it because aside from yeah, anything it's, it's just a cool it's just a really cool the concept that this thing's probably i mean this the one's in germany i'm guessing but you know it could be anywhere in the world and i'm i'm, I'm pressing the note down and I, I don't know to me that somehow is magical <laughs> yeah it's my simple nature you know i'm just kind of like ooh. Ooh, wow, that's cool. wonder what it sounds like. Yeah. Do you think there's somebody at the other end with headphones listening to everybody playing? Quickly loading <laughs> things up. <laughs> Recording everything they yeah. get. Uh, maybe not. But anyway, do check it out. Uh, I'll give you the URL again. It's tri- I'll, I'll paste it into the chat room because then you can see. It's this. Try-sound.com. Very nice idea. Uh, good work, folks. I mean, although it could be more polished, at least it works. And I guess, you know, that's counts for a lot uh right um da, 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 da. oh the native instruments prism there's a couple of um these are a couple of other things actually a couple of uh reactor five uh what do they call them ensemble ensembles that's right let me see we've got the prison demo this and i thought this sounded really nice actually depth there. I won't play the whole lot. Maybe I'll do some more in the player. That was the sound of uh, the Reactor Prism instrument. Uh, and is it possible? Do you get Reactor Player as well? Is there a... I'm not familiar with Reactor because I don't use it. I've never... I've, I think version 3 was the last time I kind of dabbled in it at all. Yeah. I've got it, but I haven't installed it. Right, right. but anyway, I don't know what sort of synthesis this is, but it's. I guess it's like uh, physical modelling because you get the impulse... And it's then like you get the, It's a type of additive synthesis. And you get the, it just, I just thought it was kind of quite fascinating. I mean, it, you know, a, a different set of sounds, kind of not not uh, dissimilar to FM, but but quite different yet at the same time, but sonically quite rich. Um, I know, Rich Hilton. Do you uh, speaking of Rich? That's a terrible link there. But uh, do you do you, <laughs> do you have any reactor experiences? Is that something that you kind of very brief forays touching upon it? At the at the suggestion of those who had actually studied it and used it more. However, I have sitting right beside me my brand new upgrade to Complete Seven, which will in fact include this uh, software, and so I'll get a chance to try it out and uh, play around with it. Ah, okay, yeah. No, once, I, once I install enough space to install <clears throat> their ninety gigabytes of sound libraries that they provide now. Wow. So, what will you do? Will you give it a separate drive, or do you have a samples drive? I have already a sound library drive of one terabyte that I'm going to have to pull today and replace with the copy I've made to a two terabyte drive <laughs> so that I can continue to install things on it like this 
because I wouldn't have room on it left for this, I don't think, or if I did, it wouldn't leave me with virtually anything. So uh, uh, I'm just about to up my sound library drive to a two terabyte, uh, and I keep them internal on the uh, SATA bus. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, Things seem to run very smoothly that way. That's interesting, actually, because I guess those drives essentially they they don't de- they don't need defragging or anything because everything just gets sort of piled on top. You're not writing to it constantly, so they, the performance must be pretty good on them. It's been a long time since I've defragged the drive on an Apple computer. Mm, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying. What, what was that spit software I used to use? I used to love it because I had a graph, didn't it? Norton. And, was it Norton? There was something else as well. And it, yeah, I you, used to with use, the dots. Uh, with the dots, what? yeah. All the different color blocks. The one Alsoft, Alsoft used to uh, make one that was very good. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I used to use that. Defragmentation. God, thing of the past. Catalog B tree errors. <laughs> oh, no, don't. <laughs> I don't want to hear about those. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've, yeah, don't, let's not uh, tempt fate, eh? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, terrifying. Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, let us know how you get on. But um, that sounds sounds kind of funky. But, I mean, this this kind of throw up a couple of other ideas, which is it's a sort of new, or not a new, but perhaps a, a less explored synthesis method. And this uh, this made me think that maybe there were some others that perhaps could do with a, an interface that seemed as clear and as natural as, as they'd managed to do with Prism, even bearing in mind this is kind of essentially a skin for a, uh, a reactor ensemble. I know, PJ, is this something that you would consider? And if not, you know, are there other synthesis methods you'd like to have a sort of a, a, an easier interface for? Yes and yes. Um, the, the, the first, yes, absolutely. I, I, I really do love some of what, what Reactor can do, and I haven't gotten nearly as deep into it as I've wanted to. Um, and have been considering the purchase of Complete 7 and Reactor uh-huh. 5.5 looks great. I went through all of their, uh, the media on Native Instruments site, and it looks like they've really cleaned up the Reactor interface, which makes it easier for somebody like myself who has limited vision to be able to navigate, um, you know, some of what's on offer there. Some, some of the things that I found with, um, with some of the, and this, this won't necessarily take care of, of this problem, but some of the reactors, ensembles and user interfaces are very cluttered um, with very small um, displays and knobs and LCDs and LCD representatives and that kind of thing, representations and that kind of thing. And so it's, it made it a little hard for me personally to be able to get very deep into the program. Um, But I love, I love the sounds that, that, uh, that can be generated with some of those ensembles. They're just, they're, there's just nothing else out there that does them. It's amazing. I'm, they are amazing. I, I, I always see people like uh, when I was talking to Adrian Utley um, when we did a studio tour and he was saying, oh, I'd really like to get into it. But it, I remember last time I looked, you know, you, it was showing you almost kind of how to, to take a transistor, a virtual transistor, and just think life's a bit short for yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. You know, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to get down and build your own, but like Native Instruments is, uh, you know, quick to point out, there are 3,000 user ensembles on the internet, freely downloadable. So if you, if you're afraid or don't have the time or, you know, a second life to be able to, to, to get down to the, to the nuts and bolts level of reactor, there's so much that program will do right out of the box. Mm. Um, and I think you could probably get lost for lifetimes just exploring what's already out there. Yeah. Well, that's even the most popular ensembles. Because I guess when I, when I last looked at it, it was, there wasn't an awful lot of them around, and now there's an ability to be able to to, to create ensemble projects that you can buy. I mean, uh, Prism costs, I think, uh, sixty nine euros, 
But there was also, uh, we did a news item uh, just this morning, actually, uh, for something called Buff Eater, which is another ensemble, which is just a glitch and kind of buffering audio thing, which does some really mad reordering and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, st- stop that. Smirking at the back. I did say Buff Eater there, Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't got a cold. On the subject of all that glitchy stuff, I saw a video recently, a video demo of the current Fruity Loops doing some incredible things with a vocal. Okay. I must say. And we should probably well, uh, have a look that. at that at a future show. Oh, yeah. yeah no, let's. Let's. Definitely. I'd be, that'd be this more than This is FL Studio, Rich? Okay. Okay, cool. I want to look yeah, at that. Yeah, it's a new Fruity but, Loops. I'll uh, send a link off. Yeah, cool. Please do. Nick, yes. uh, back to your point about uh, synth interfaces. I, I think this ties in well with uh, with the um, supernova or the ultranova, that yeah. kind of thing. I, I think that not that there's anything wrong with a lot of the interfaces that have come out you know, to, to date in terms of, you know, in terms of different synthesis methods, the interfaces for them. I mean, some, some of them you could argue there's, there's something very wrong with them. Um, but I, I would like to see people, um, you know, unif- uh, interface designers out there, user interface designers out there really go nuts and, uh, kind of, kind of along the lines that Mark has, you know, Mark has, uh, has talked about in the past. I mean, he's, he's an advocate for this as well, I believe, and just do some really creative things and completely, completely reinvent the user interface for some of these synthesis methods. Why not? I mean, there could be all kinds of different ways to access parameters and, and, um, uh, you know, cross uh, you know, doing modulation and things like that. And, and some, some companies have done that. I really, I, I really love, the user interface for uh, Spectrosonic's Omnisphere. I think they make a really powerful synth engine, uh, extremely accessible. So I'd, I'd love to see, um, you know, people gi- people giving uh, user interface design a little more thought. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, as I've said, we've said, discussed before, you know, the, the advance of, you know, touch screens and all that sort of thing is forcing people to, to, to go along those lines anyway. But I, I know I'm, I'm, I would like to see uh, certainly I'd like to see a kind of somebody have a crack at FM because I think that's a really powerful system that just hasn't really been tapped properly. I mean, you know, we've all heard the sounds that can be made from it with a crap interface. <laughs> so uh, with a good interface that sort of you could understand the what things are doing because I mean a lot of it's kind of junk, isn't it? When you turn a knob, you know half of the settings are useless. So you kind of what's need that to... company that makes that synthesizer, Nick? That you you were talking about before called Syn- Synplant. Oh, Synplant. Yes, they are yeah. called uh, Sonic Charge. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really cool interface for a synthesizer. Yes. It's not so cool when you get into the nuts and bolts and try and tweak the parameters on the on the helix of the uh, the DNA strand. That's a little bit right. Kind of, maybe they could looks nice, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, they, yeah. I'm a big fan of that synth anyway. But yeah, I, I know, Rich. I mean, you studied synthesis and you've kind of been uh, you, you you've been involved in synthesizer for a long time. Are there any other synthesis methods that you think you know could do could do with a little bit of uh, bringing to the forefront in our current uh, in the current world? Is it? And well, first of all, is Prism the sort of sound or synth techniques that you'd like to explore yourself? Today, 
quite a few synthesizers offer combinations of what were once seen to be separate synthesis methods. So whereas in the late 70s and the 80s, we had additive synths and subtractive synths and FM synths and things like that. Today, they all get to, tend to get kind of lumped together into either single instruments or into packages that include them all and quite often enable you to combine them as different means of achieving a single sound. So the things that FM is good at, you could use the FM par portion of the thing, and the things your analog synths are good at, you could use for the analog portion. And the additive bit, the whole concept of additive uh, from one harmonic at a time doesn't seem to be very ubiquitous even today, but it's sort of been replaced by a combination of, uh, by a thing where you add together the other synthesis methods to make harmonic series rather than individual sine wave uh, components. Right. So, uh, and uh, the other thing that um, I we're kind of getting near towards the end of the show, but there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up also, which was uh, I just come back from the Plaza show, which is more of a kind of live stage staging and kind of live event sort of thing. Uh, there are a couple of cool things there. I did uh, I've got some videos to go up. Um, please do check them out. Um, there was a really nice new desk from Alan and Heath actually, which was uh, very cool. I, I'm just waiting for that. I'll probably get a chance to put that up a little bit later. But the other thing was, it, it was almost a networking show. There's so much, you know, it seems so little about analog consoles. I mean, uh, Dave, you were saying that uh, um, Midas are now moving purely, you know, into kind of digital, pretty much digital only. There's all the digital snakes, all of the kind of the interfacing between all these various different formats. Uh, uh, Roland brought out a React cable to Digi, uh, um, to Digico, so you'll be able to kind of interface all of their products with everybody else. So all of this stuff is going to be going completely in the digital domain. And, you know, what with, the, as we've discussed in the past, you know, I thought it would be a, a question to sort of ask, you know, is analog, are we kind of heading towards a world with much less analog? I'm going to duck for cover now because I don't know. That might be an inflammatory question. <laughs> but it does seem that all sorts of things, you know, I mean, cost being one of them is driving it that way. Yeah, well, as long as there's marketing uh, mojo to be had from the use of the word analog and the promotion, analog will continue to exist. <laughs> <laughs> and just like in the late 80s and early 90s where everything was blown up to be wonderful and important by saying it was digital, interestingly now, 20 years later, everything is blown up and said to be important because it's analog. Yeah. It's all just like it's a, marketing. It's just a phase. Ah, phase distortion. Now that's a whole other issue. <laughs> hey, hey. I don't know, PJ. What do you think? I mean, because you know, you you, I'm guessing, are pretty much working in the box. I mean, what do you use that is analog in your workflow right now? I mean, what's the most to keep the key the key components? In in my own personal space, nothing. I mean, microphones. Yeah, occasionally, occasionally in my own space, I might uh, use a microphone and I I plug it into a preamplifier and that's it. Hmm. I rest my case, yeah, my lad. But I mean, but when <laughs> yeah. I go to another, I mean, in in then you know various mu various musical instruments, that kind of thing. But I mean, when I go to another another space, which I don't do as frequently as I used to, but when I go to another space to record, I use a lot of a lot of analog gear. Mm. And Dave, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of analog gear, but I mean, most of your workflow presumably is in the box, right? Yeah, it is now. Um... Yeah, I don't really know what to say. I'm quite depressed by this. No, not at all. Um, 
Analog is expensive. That's mm-hmm. the bottom line, really. Digital's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So I think everything's going to move that way, or you know, most things are going to move that way. I think analog has been boutique, actually, for quite a while. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, in all sorts of ways. I mean, you know, we were last time I went to AES, I mean, Rich, you were there as well. There was just rows upon rows of little guys with cool little but expensive and boutique products. And bizarrely, that's the section of the shows that I gravitate to now. For me, that's where the fun is. Everything else has just become kind of... Everyone's doing the same, similar, cheaper, faster, cheaper, cheaper, faster. And it's like, actually, the cool guys are over there doing this boutique stuff. That's what I like. Mm. I was going to say to Dave, that and the the enormous subculture that exists around any given Ableton booth you find at any given show. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's true. But that's, I mean, that's, again, is interesting. I mean, because we were talking about this earlier, you know, the whole Ableton thing is amazing. I mean, the interfacing and the workflow is incredible. But I've just been looking at some of the partner instruments, uh, and, you know, I'm still trying to kind of uh, just assess what I think of them. And they sound great, and, they're, you know, there's some really cool things there. But because of the nature of the interface of Ableton, it's generic. You know, there's no differentiation between what you've got across one track or another. It's just a little... Uh, two rows of four knobs and some of them might be colourful. You can't, there's no way of identifying what that instrument might be, you know, uh, from any graphical point of view. And it, it's sort of homogenised to a degree. And I think... Homogenised is the there's a, there, That's the danger of mm. digital, I suppose, in the same way. You know, I was talking, we did a, a, a film review yesterday of the SSL X-Patch, which is, a, on, on the face of it, a very dull product but it's a 16 by 16 matrix or an 8 by is it 8 by 8 or 16 i forget which i think it's 8 by 8 matrix switchable but what that means and um, steve the guy who did the review was saying that all the stuff that he would go to and kind of think oh i'll just fire at the ms20 and then plug that into there it'd be like by the time he got to the sort of i want to do this now it would be like oh no that's humming and that's not plugged in it just it just didn't happen but now he's got everything fired up and he can just press a button and go right take my guitar put it in the Digitech whammy pedal, let's have it out into the amp simulator, then I'll put it through the Sherman filter bank, and it's just like, recall, bang, there it is. And that means that mm. the the interfacing and the ability to use this stuff becomes, it, it's reclaimed, because, you know, obviously a lot of the time, it, it, as we've talked about in the past, modular time, you know, you, you get mm-hmm. time pressure. You haven't got time to, to mess around with this stuff. You know, it has to just kind of be recall, which is why it has been digital. But things like this X-Patch, which I think is a, it's kind of quite liberating in a sort of strange way. It's an automatic patch bay. What do you do? But the, you know, the the other side of that too, Nick. I I remember I asked Dave Robinson about this a couple of weeks ago to see, you know, what he thought um, in in terms of like the the 500 series um, modules that are coming out because API, uh, you know, released their spec on that, and so you get all these little guys that are making you know anywhere from 500 you know, $3,000 little boxes that can fit in a 500 series lunchbox. And so you've, you've created kind of almost an, an analog plug-in architecture there. And, and what, I, what I was wondering is if, you know, if you combine that with something like your, like your X patch, if over the course of years, you aren't going to see that kind of picking up, you know, as, as a, as a popular way to, to, to put some different sounds at the front end in the, and not even the front end, I guess the middle of your, your workflow. Cause like you said, it's a lot, it's a lot more accessible, makes things more instantaneous. And that's of course 
um, and possibly recallable, I guess, with an X patch system. I don't know, but I mean, that's, that's what makes, uh, you know, that's what we all love about digital is yeah. how, is how easy it is. I mean, Rich, what do you, what do you say? Well, you, cause you were, you work, you know, I mean, where, uh, when you, when we're talking about, you know, is analog phasing out? And like, no, no, no. And then I kind of put the question to you is like, well, you work mostly in the box. So kind of most of the time you're not yeah. using analog, the analog side. I'm guessing. Or do you do you bus out and kind of process externally? I mean, is that something that you do much? Not often. Um, I, as regards synthesis in particular, probably a good eighty percent or better of what I need to do can be done in the box effectively and quickly, recallably, which is very important to my world. Um, there are times where I find that the soft synths just don't get me the impact or the clarity or something that I need that I fire up the mini mogul, the profit and I make it happen there. But the vast majority of what I do in synthesis ends up in the box these days. Um, and regarding audio, I don't tend to come back out of the box unless it's absolutely necessary or desirable. I do all of my analoginess before it gets into the box. Typically. Right. Rich, did I hear you say on a previous podcast that you have a, you know, you have racks, some racks of analog gear that you, you generally, you don't touch the knobs. You've got them set a certain way. And if you need a certain no, no, sound, no, no, you no, run no. something out of no, no. Okay. okay. No, that must have been a misunderstanding. Uh, no. Okay. I guess it was. No, I'm all, okay. I'm a, I'm a knob grabbing fool. <laughs> okay, fantastic. I, I, I figured that's the case. Okay. <laughs> However, what I what I did begin to do with these mixes, and this is not quite like grabbing knobs, but while we're on the subject, yeah, is um, I when I finished a mix, if I really liked the sound I got on a particular instrument, one of the things Pro Tools allows you to do is import your signal path and your, all of your routing and even your automation, if you choose, without the regions. So I might import the plug-in and the routing I use, say, on the bass guitar into my next mix from my previous mix and start from there. And that's mm. as close to getting things set up as I ever get. And I always end up, you know, um, you know, m modifying it for the next tune anyway. But I found that using, because of the similarity of the tracks I was working on from song to song, I found that by using the previous song's or one of the previous, like in some cases, I grabbed the bass sound from this song and the drum routing from this other song because this drum kit reminded me more of that one. And But it helped me and it sped up my mixing process to begin to do that. And also because I was using, I've used some new plugins lately. Uh, so I've been enjoying that and uh, exploring those on, on these sounds. Hmm, interesting. But it does raise an interesting question when you say that analog is expensive because it's not only expensive in terms of buying it, it's expensive in terms of time. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there will be a situation where it's actually, I haven't got time to go the analog route because, A, it's either got to be switched on, warmed up, or it's got to be patched a certain way, and that's going to take me time to figure out, and I need these, you know, it almost becomes marginalized just purely for those reasons. And that's that's kind of what happened to me. I mean, I found it quite hard to to kind of go back to analog just purely because it was once you don't have a, a kind of live analog setup that's instantly there, it's sort of a pain in the ass to, to use it again. Well, I have heard about certain very, very famous mixers who start each session with a template that they use 
even including EQs and compression techniques on individual instruments. So, for example, the bass guitar will always come up on fader or whatever and go through whatever processing is part of his template. The, dr the drums, similarly, he lays everything into a template as a starting point on an analog console. You know, obviously, it's a recall. It's I think it's an NSSL console, so it's all being recalled. But the point is, he does start from that sort of template activity. Yeah, I've re actually read about a couple of mixers that do that very same thing. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah. I find that interesting that they that they would do it that way. Well, it depends what mode I'm in. If I'm in sound design mode, you don't. You I'll don't, always yeah. go hardware first, and then integrate that with software. Right. But if I'm under pressure, hardware rarely gets a look in. Right. If it's working for somebody else and there's a looming deadline and this shit's got to be ready for the show tonight, yeah. then the easiest thing is mm -hmm. software. Combination of the two is quite gorgeous. I don't well, know. The there's something about is... shows and stuff like that is that when you kind of do these trade I mean, you've done it for a million years like I have. When you do these trade shows, you kind of get immune to the latest, greatest hype that's going on after a while there's usually a buzz of each show mm. but there's always something quite cool going on and the with the analog guys i think it's a pace thing everything is really frenetic and then you'll go on to the analog guys booth and everything's just a little bit more somber and sober and sounds a little darker and there's more mischief to be had and all of yeah, those things <laughs> the pace of life <laughs> yeah i'm getting old <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's an interesting point to end on, I think, perhaps, unless anybody's got anything further to add. I think that draws us to uh, to a nice conclusion to the show. Um, and, of course, um, the pub is calling, and I haven't actually drunk since I left. <laughs> since I came back from holiday. And I thought I'd lose yeah. some weight, and I've actually put it on. So what the hell? I'm going to go and have a pint. <laughs> but anyway, um, thank you ever so much, everybody, for joining in. Um, thank you to those guys in the chat room who've been joining. Some great comments in there. Always appreciate your input. I uh, had some great stuff in there today, as we do every week. So if you want to come and join us, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time, uh, on a Wednesday for the recording of the show. And your words will be immortalised in the video stream that we also put up on Ustream. So thank you very much. And also thank you very much to my guests. I will say thank you. First of all, we'll go over to uh, the States where we're talking to PJ Tracy from PJ Tracy Music. Thank you for joining us, PJ. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure and it's great talking with you guys. Thank you. Take care of that thumb. No hitching, will right? Will do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, thank you, PJ Tracy Music, and thank you very much also to Rich Hilton. Uh, I'm guessing you've probably got a busy day ahead of you. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule, too. Uh, thanks for joining us, Rich. Always a big, big pleasure and lots of fun, and thank you, guys. No problem at all. Uh, anyway, I'd be interested to know how you get on with uh, the Prism and the complete seven installs, but uh, that can wait for another week. That's a, te that a teaser. And then, and then finally, <laughs> thank you very much to Dave Spears for being here in the studio and um, twisting my arm to go to the bar after You're this. You're very welcome. Thank you for putting up with me. G4Software.com. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 189. Gosh, we're getting close to 200 now, aren't we? That's going to be some big occasion. And... Um, Remember, show sponsors, Yamaha, we very much appreciate their involvement. SonicState.com forward slash Yamaha. Thank you very much. That's it. On the subject you. of new plugins, I've oh, yeah. uh, started using Isotopes Alloy Good, lately. 
Yeah, it's yeah. really good. I can't get my head around it. I, can't, I can call the processor, but I, well, as soon as I start editing anything, it's like I get into a real mess. <laughs> I just can't. Oh, that, EQ, that EQ sounds pretty good. Yeah, does it? yeah, yeah. I got something else coming out in a couple of weeks, which I can't say about, but it's unbelievable. Cool. Wow. I'll really? get that. And then, then I've also been using the uh, Waves uh, API stuff and the classic compressors, the Chris Lord Alge classic compressors, and those are all really good. Mm. And they sound good. Okay. Yeah. Should do. I, that was, and I downloaded demos in, the, in all of these My cases. Well, credit card. Yeah. Keep well, your thumb away from I... the credit card, PJ. That's what it is. It's, yeah, you, didn't right. cut it on, you didn't cut it on a knife. You cut it on your credit card because you've been using it I so much. It it's been pared down to a thin edge. It's been swiped so many times. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there nervously thumbing it as I'm, as I'm looking at the waves. Peeling open the wound. Both literally and figuratively. I'm peeling open a wound. But what yeah, happened was, for the first time in nearly a decade, I came up against my plugins folder looking a little uh, anemic to me. Like, I was just sick of what I'd been using for all the same things, and it wasn't really doing the right thing on these analog source tracks. And so I went after some new EQs and compressors and uh, started using the isotope stuff that I'd bought and not used up to this point and uh, downloaded PJ's suggested EQs and... Got all kinds of nice new flavors going. It was very, it was did, very did you cool. you try those? You've, you've been trying those, Rich. What do you think of those? I like them. The I use them. I like the active one better than the passive one so far. I really haven't found anything that the passive one makes enough of an impact on to show me why I need the thing. But the active one works great. And then there's that third one they've got that I haven't quite the, wrapped the my focusing head EQ. Yet. The focusing yeah. EQ. Yeah, I like that because on certain sources, if you just if you place that over them, it does something to them. Just just the the low level of distortion alone does it. But I guess the, the trick with that is that the high end the high end and the low end shelves, as you move them, the center frequency slides along, uh, you know, along the, uh, uh, the I don't know, along the frequency spectrum in respect to those to where you have those other shelves set. I see. Well, I had, good, so I had good results with the active EQ on a guitar. It was really nice. I ended up using it. And, uh, That's what I need because I, I recorded um, – we did a, a short review of the – God, I've just been shooting reviews constantly for the last few days. That Eventide Pitch Factor, and we had to do it. We, we split it stereo out, and I put uh, – Obviously, Mike, I just put two SM57s straight into the Zoom, mic'd up and mic'd them up, and I'm trying to figure out what I can... I've got Alloy on the video editing machine, which I want to pro use to process it. I'm just trying to figure out what I should use, what kind of curves and stuff, and it's just... I have, I have to get into it because uh, I can make it sound better, but I want it to sound, you know, exactly right, and I just can't quite visualize what I'm doing with it to what I want to hear, if you see what I mean. Is that Alloy is Isotope's... Um channel it's like a channel strip yes. kind of thing yeah yes okay yeah, whereas okay. i put ozone on the master fader and compared it to the ml4000 which i love and use and uh i couldn't get ozone to get give me the same kind of life that i like that i get out of my ml4000 now, I didn't spend a lot of time with it because I already had the ML4000 sounding good. So I just basically stuck an ozone right next to it and started comparing them and trying to make the ozone give it that same sort of joie de vivre. And it never really came about, but it's worth, I think it's worth looking at some more as well. Is the ML4000 the Amp DSP thing? 
Yeah, that's Colin's uh, Master Fader uh, lover thing, thing, lovely thing. And and that that's a uh, basically a multi band compressor. Is that what that is, Rich, or is it? I tend to use complex. the single band. I tend to use the single band version, but he does have a multi band version uh, as well. Okay, so, so I'm you're not, using the same. Uh, this is I'm not a great lover of multiband compression. I don't know why. Yeah. It sounds fine. I can use it. I know how it works. I played around with them a lot, but um, I don't tend to use them that much. I'd rather use a single band compressor in an EQ about 90% of the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's something funny about the phase when the crossover, with the crossover points. Well, there should yeah, be. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> there should be. Maybe. Well, maybe, but and and I think for some, if I had some extreme repair to do, if I was given tracks that were just god awful, I might find myself using them more because they tend to do well with drastic mm. EQ shifts and settings. Uh, but but for most of the stuff I deal with, which is either stuff I recorded or other people who I know and respect recorded, I don't I don't mm-hmm. find it help the multi brand band compression. Well, if right. you read. Uh... You know, like Bob Katz's wonderful manifestos on mastering audio. He's he's of the same mind. He he thinks that multiband compression is way overused, and that it's it's something that should be used as a last resort to fix a really severe problem. And I, I suppose you could probably maybe use it creatively, but uh, in terms of just an ubiquitous master bus processor, I think that you know that sounds about right too. Well, I'm happy to be uh, on the same team as Bob Katz on this issue. <laughs> hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, I kind of guess we're going to have to shut down the beast. I've got to transfer the files across and everything. But thanks ever so much, guys. Nice little I- interesting section at the end there. Might have to have to see if I can Sneak slip that in, in somewhere. When yeah, I'm sure. uh, crushing it down to my 64 gay PBS. This was the this was the thing that PJ recommended <laughs> all of us on one ago. side. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get to split 32 kbps between two this week, Rich, because it's just you and PJ on the uh, one side. Me and Dave have to share the other 32 kbps. All right, PJ, <laughs> right, PJ right. odds are once, twice, three. We balanced. <laughs> your skins over here, right? Cheers, folks. Right. Cheers, Howard, uh, and cheers, everybody in the chat room. Um, we're going to sign off now. I'm just going to shut down the live feed. See you guys. Please have a good pint for me, gents. Will do. Yeah, guys. Enjoy, enjoy your pubbing. Thank you. Cheers. Take care, guys. Thank you.